Hi everyone, it's me Trisha. Welcome back to It Girl Thoughts, the podcast where we can talk about our stories, our struggles, and everything we need to talk about in a safe space on this podcast. If you're new here, welcome to my podcast. And if you're not new here, welcome back. What's up? Before I start with this podcast, I need to let you guys know that this is a 100% a trigger warning. I'm talking about something very, very serious today that could be very triggering to anybody that's experienced sexual assault, sexual violence. Um, Please, 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 please take care of yourself. If you know that this is going to trigger you, I do not recommend you listening to this episode. I promise you next week I am going to be talking about something really funny and just really lighthearted. Um, so again, if this is going to trigger you, I love that you want to support me and I, and I love you and thank you so much, but I care about your mental health and I care about your well-being. So don't listen to this if you can't listen to this. Um, and if you're uneasy about listening to this, listen at your own pace and whenever you think you've had enough, feel free to stop and that's okay. Okay, let's get into this. Before we start with today's podcast episode, you all know the deal weekly check-in this week has been kind of cool kind of annoying (laughs) um i've again just been at home working from home um this week starting this week it i got my hours cut so that's really hard um i got into grad school which is so awesome i'm gonna be doing my mfa in creative writing i actually start very soon i start in may um i decided to do the summer program because i was just so bored and I didn't have anything to do then I did this podcast and I'm just like you know what I can go to school so um it's really awesome I get to go to school on the weekend so I can still work and do whatever I need to do um and yeah I've just been at home playing Skyrim um my boyfriend and I are doing this really cool challenge where we are like doing this war generator that like generates like weather location and like I can't remember what else um and we're doing like collage art on photoshop with it so yeah I've been doing a lot of collage art um this week on my instagram it's all angeled theme um I really like angels for some weird reason I'm not very religious but the look and the themes that angels bring into like writing into art kind of fascinates me so I decided to challenge that to this week so if you would like to go check out my personal podcast my personal podcast my personal instagram it is trbcvv.l basically it's trisha but replace all the uh, vowels with a v dot l It's really confusing, I know. Um, I'll probably have it in my bio for my actual Instagram at itgirlthoughts if you're not following it already. So, this podcast episode, I didn't think I was going to make it this, like, in, like, this far into the podcast. Does that make sense? I really thought I was going to, it was going to take me, like, way more episodes to make this podcast episode, but... I think it's only right to do it, especially with April being Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. Um, I think it's just so important for me to talk about this. This is something that I'm not shy to talk about. This is something that I've kind of grown out of my own shell and my own and, and my own obstacles to be able to talk about my own experience with sexual assault, sexual violence, and really understand what that does to a person, especially learning myself all over again after experiencing something like that, and 
and really just talking about it and making making it okay to be talked about because you know it should it's such a stigma for both genders not just women but I feel like there's a bigger stigma for men to feel unable and unsupported to come out and you know and tell their stories of about them being sexually assaulted or having had something done to them um so I'm really really passionate about talking about this and there have been some people that have told me you know why do I feel the need to talk about something so personal about myself why did I feel the need to write about this in my book because this is kind of a big theme in my in my book and I mean the truth is is that it is my story but it's it contributes to somebody else's well-being it contributes to somebody else's decision to take a stand against this and and you know identify the perpetrator identify um the people that do these violent crimes and and really put a stop to this and also create a dialogue uh, about prevention about what consent means and and everything in between so this is really personal and I feel like some people won't like this podcast episode some people will um but you know my whole idea of this podcast is to talk about the things that make us uncomfortable talk about things that we don't hear enough people to talk um, talking about so that you know it drives a conversation so if I'm putting myself out there into the universe then fuck it I'm putting myself out there into the universe to talk about my experience before I start with my experience I want to share with you guys this really awesome website it's called rain.org that's r a i n n org. This is such an awesome website that I've found useful for me to know about my the resources that are available to me, especially with after uh, sexual assault and getting the help that you need. Um, some fun statistics because we love statistics on this podcast. Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Every 73 seconds, um, an American is sexually assaulted. That is crazy. <laughs> that is so crazy. Every 73 seconds. And and even today, from 1993, when they started recording these numbers, even today, only five out of every thousand rapists will end up in prison. That is absolutely insane. The amount of people that are going through such a traumatic experience and such a small portion of these people responsible get charged and, and get charged a crime. It's it's absolutely, it's so difficult for me to hear that because part of the reason why it took me so long to speak out about the person that molested me when I was 15 was because I knew that it would be so hard to get them in trouble. Um, and that's and that's probably probably one of my biggest regrets of my life is is not trusting my gut and saying, well, fuck this. I want to tell everybody that I know that this guy molested me so that, you know, everybody knows. Um, so I also use this website to kind of identify what sexual assault meant because... As I started to go to therapy and talk about 
what happened to me, I didn't really know what the word was for this act. Um, it was my therapist that corrected me and said, you know, you weren't sexually harassed because I was saying like, oh, it was sexual harassment. Um, I did try to play it down much lighter than what it really was. My therapist corrected me and said, no, you were molested. You were taken advantage of. You were molested. And so I really went on this website and I, I looked at the types of sexual violence to really understand what is sexual assault? What classifies sexual violence? Um, because easily what I thought was no big deal was a big deal. And it, it didn't hit me until I started going and continuing my therapy sessions and really diving into this was non-consensual and totally out of line. So um, with the definition from this website, the term sexual violence is an all-encompassing non-legal term that refers to crimes like sexual assault, rape, and sexual abuse. Many of these crimes are described below, below in the website. Um, important to know, please note that the legal definition of crimes vary from state to state. There are often other crimes and forms of violence that arise jointly with crimes like sexual assault, and these are described as well below. So, you know, there's sexual assault, child sexual abuse, sexual assault of men and boys, intimate partner sexual violence, incest, drug facilitated sexual assault. Um, and then it goes down to a lot of other stuff, sexual harassment, stalking, adult survivors of child sexual abuse, using technologies to hurt others. So transferring uh, nude pictures, child pornography, sexual abuse by medical professionals. Yeah, that's terrible. Sexual exploitation by helping professionals. Uh, yeah, we all know what that exactly means. You know, being sexually exploited at your job. Um, multiple perpetrator sexual assaults, elder abuse, sexual abuse of people with disabilities, military sexual trauma, legal role of consent. And, and, and it really goes on and on and on. Um, I think this is a really, really valuable website for anybody, not even if they're a victim, but just anybody that wants to understand what sexual violence and sexual assault really is. Um, and it also gives, I mean, just awesome resources, um, safety and prevention, how to get involved, public policy that supports their cause and, you know, what we can vote for and cons consulting and training for people that want to help or want to know their resources. So, it's a really, really awesome, really awesome website, and it, it really helped me, especially understanding my own story, my own experience. So when I'm talking about my experience, the one thing that I didn't want to do, and I didn't do this in my book, was I didn't want to go into detail of what exactly happened. Number one, I think that takes away from me as a person. Um... It's really important to know what exactly happened to me, like what this person actually did to me. But my main focus in my book was to write poems that illustrated me as a person after coming forward and saying that I was molested at 15 years old. I think that was more powerful for me because I wanted people to understand how different of a person I am now and how emotionally and mentally difficult it is for me now as a person because I came out and said that I was molested when I was 15 years old 
And it was just something that I never thought I was going to be able to tell people. And it really wasn't until last year when I kind of almost died, uh, and I'll go into that more, that I really, that I realized that I, if I would have, if God forbid something had happened to me and I wasn't able to share that my story, I, I would never be able to contribute to such an important cause of educating people and, and really creating a strong community for people to talk about this and also get the right help. Um, so I really pushed myself to continue to go back to therapy and I really pushed myself with this book because I was just, it was like a fire in me was set. I was like, I want to come out of this stronger. I want to come out of this with telling my whole truth, nothing but the truth. And, and I wanted to share my story. So here we go. And it's going to be really difficult for me to talk about. If I pause, it's because I'm trying not to cry. And if I do cry, well, I cried. Okay. So it's just really, you know, it's hard. I don't really tell people exactly what happened. I'm not going to go into like the really, really like gross, gross details, but I'll give you like the gist of what happened. So I was 15 years old. I was in high school at the time. And the person that did this to me, he was like my biggest crush in high school. He was two years older than me. He was already 18 years old, so he was an adult, okay? He was an adult. It was not a cutesy, like, oh my god, I was a sophomore, he's a senior kind of thing. No, I was 15, underage, he was an adult. Point blank simple. Underage. I was underage. He was an adult. He knew what he was doing. And... This was someone that I really trusted. We were really good friends and I really liked him. I had very strong feelings for him. I genuinely thought this could be my boyfriend. So he graduated and the summer before I started my junior year of high school, he wanted to hang out and he wanted to take pictures for this photography class he was taking at a community college. And I remember of this park right by my house where it was really, really nice and you could go onto the train tracks and I thought, oh, that'd be really great to take pictures there. So I I go with him, he comes and we go together. Um, my parents kind of knew about him. Like, I think I introduced him to my parents um, at like school events or something. Um, I knew that my parents knew that I was going out with him. And um, so we went and we were taking pictures good time and then things got a little weird he got really really handsy and started to lift up my shirt and that's when I knew that this was really really wrong and I needed to find a really good way to go back home <laughs> because I was getting very uncomfortable and every single time he would try I would push his hands away and it, he was just not getting the hint so I made up this lie that I had to go home and um I'm going home and I'm walking as fast as I can and he's just like making these really lewd and like sexual remarks and I remember I started to kind of shut down in a way and just really focused on walking as fast as I could to go home. I get to the street light to go up my street to my house. I said goodbye and he was like, I really need to get water um, you know, before I go and I'm like, oh, there's a liquor store there and he was really adamant that I gave him water. 
So I asked him if he could wait outside and I would come bring him the water. So I go inside my house. Um, he did not wait outside. He came into my house. Um, whew, sorry guys. I was doing so well. <laughs> um, he came into my house and I had my back turned and he just latched onto my shoulders and he fondled me. Um, and I just couldn't make any noise. I like tried to yell or like push away but it was like over the countertop so I actually was getting crushed by my countertop and so I, I, I couldn't even make noise that I was in pain um I was so frozen yeah I was frozen um sorry <laughs> I'm not sorry hold on I'm not sorry I'm not sorry um I'm just trying to compose myself here I was so frozen yeah um, and so I hear this door opening and my mom actually walked in, um, and you know, and still to that day, if my mom hadn't walked in, I had no idea what would have happened afterwards. Um, but my mom walked in and he obviously pulled away and I, you know, he said hi to my mom and, and he got his water and he left and, um, I didn't tell my mom anything. I did not tell my mom anything. I had no I had no emotion at all. I didn't cry. I went about my day like if nothing happened. I remember feeling just so like like cold after like that day. Um I went on <laughs> the rest of my life not saying a word I don't even think my best friends knew what happened like what really really happened I remember I told them like I remember I told them this but I told them the, the total opposite as if like I totally consented to it and I really wanted to but my mom walked in um it was an absolute lie <laughs> this was completely unconsensual beyond words um and one of the reasons why it was so hard for me to want to say this was because especially anybody that knew me personally knew that I really, really liked this person. This was like my big, fat high school crush. And it was devastating to remember this, you know, to have had this happen to me by someone who I was just so like in awe with and I had such strong feelings for. I you know, I felt like nobody was going to believe me. I felt like if I had said something, he was going to deny it and deny it. And I was just terrified. You know, it happened in my own home. This is like a place where I should feel safe and away from people. And, and it happened in my own home. And I couldn't tell my parents. And I'm someone that can always tell their parents something. But this was the one thing I couldn't even look at them in the eyes to tell them. Um, I don't even know how I did it. I was just going through so much in that year too. When I was 15, I didn't have a quinceañera. We had no money for me to have a quinceañera because my dad had been diagnosed with cancer. 
And, you know, we were recovering from that and living, living that really hard part of my life. And, um, I had just moved to that new house a couple, like about a year ago before this happened, um, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer and, you know, I, I had no idea how I kept quiet about this, to be honest with you. Um, even so to this day, I really don't even understand how I was able to shut that out of my life, but I did. And I, and I went through junior year, I went through senior year, and I went through almost my entire college experience, not saying a word. Um, and there were times in my house where I would just feel really uneasy being in the kitchen and I didn't really understand why. Um, I had started dating at that point of my life. My senior year of high school is when I had my very first boyfriend and we were together for almost two years. And looking back at it now, I, I could tell that I was really uncomfortable in this relationship. You know, there were times where I couldn't be intimate with this person and I was terrified to be intimate. I was so scared for them to touch me. I was, I would just shut down and I tried really hard to be okay. And I was just like, I don't understand why I can't do this. Like, this is my boyfriend. I love him. I don't understand why I can't feel comfortable with this person. And, you know, my second boyfriend, well, he was just a monster, to be honest with you all. Um, my first boyfriend was not perfect and he had his flaws, but my second boyfriend was a very, very big old monster. Um, I absolutely have, I'm, I'm, ugh, that's a whole other podcast. But even with him, um, I couldn't feel comfortable. I didn't like touch, I couldn't trust people. And when I started like casually dating and having casual sex is when I realized that I don't care about people. I emotionally could not care about anybody. And that was really hurtful for me and obviously really hurtful to the people that I got myself involved with because I would just shut down completely. I, I would just shut down. You know, we could have an intimate moment and I would immediately shut down and ask them to leave. I couldn't do anything that was more anything more physical than just, you know, than just sex. It, it wasn't in my nature. It, it wasn't anything that I could find myself to do. I couldn't muster up any desire to care more about a person, to date a person more. Um, and that was really damaging for me because I really was trying to have a dating life and, and date and meet people and really care about somebody and, and try having a good relationship but I couldn't do it and I didn't know why and it was so weird to me I'm just like I want a relationship I want to love somebody but I can't I don't I don't care about these people and I can't I cannot care I cannot say yes to somebody who wants to like sleep over and cuddle me and like hold my hand it was just so unheard of for me and this was like little struggles that I wasn't telling people um, because I think everybody that knew me personally saw me as like, oh my God, she's like really fun and she's living her best single life, you know, and she has all these crazy funny stories. In reality, I absolutely regret having this part of my life. It was so damaging for me to recover from that because um, it was just, it was emotionally terrible for me. 
I was so miserable doing that. But I, I thought if I just kept dating and trying, meeting more people that I would finally find someone I was comfortable with. And it wasn't the case. It was the fact that slowly this, slowly my life was changing because I was molested at 15 and I couldn't trust men. (laughs) I couldn't trust men to be near me. I couldn't trust men to be more than just sex. I couldn't, you know, this someone, this person who did this to me was someone that I cared so deeply about and, you know, I I really wanted in my life. And in turn, I, I couldn't do that for people and and I I couldn't trust people in my life for that um so August of 2019 I became an RA at my university and I had moved into my dorm and I was like oh my god I have so much freedom and I'm finally out of my parents house and I can finally be on my own and just you know be with my friends and live my life yeah 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 this person the person who molested me when I was 15 hit me up on Twitter and I was just like oh shit like what's up oh my god um we got to talking in the back of my head I was like you know I can't really remember why we stopped talking I can't really remember why something must have happened because again like I said I didn't like this guy so much I really really liked him um and you know, he's telling me all these like sweet things. It's like, oh, you know, in high school, I've, I wish I would have, you know, told you how much I liked you. I wish I would have dated you and la 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 la. Like, I really want to do that now. I really want to have a chance to take you out. And I was just like, oh my God, this is like everything I wanted in high school. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I just started crying because... I had suppressed this for so long, I almost absolutely forgot what happened. I was not acknowledging this for so long that I just just pushed it on the back of my head. And I started crying because I started remembering everything. And we were on FaceTime and he asked me what's wrong and I was shaking and I looked at him and I and I told him, like, you, you took advantage of me when I was 15 years old. It's like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. And I was crying hysterically. And I said, yes, you did. You, and, you know, I told him you did, you did this. You made unwanted advances and all of this stuff. And, um, yeah, this is the last time I ever talked to him. <laughs> Someone just came up. Yeah, this is the last time I ever talked to him. There was, like, no, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. Okay, you're probably going to experience a really weird cutoff on the audio, but um, my dad came home. <laughs> He's so sweet. He gave me my mail and he was asking if I wanted a sandwich. So <laughs> I love my parents. I love my parents. I'm going to readjust the mic because I had to move it when I walked out. Okay, so <sighs> like I was saying, I had really no words to to tell this person other than like you did this and it was like a fire in me and and also just fear and and just anger like this person was literally on FaceTime with me looking at me saying like I didn't do that and I just 
I don't even know how people in my dorm didn't even hear me. I was like, you did this. You did this. And I was also like crying and, and stuff. Um, I got, he, I got kind of the, uh, how do I say this? He, you know, really couldn't take hearing this. And he kind of broke down and started crying. And that pissed me off even more. Um, cause I was like, why the fuck are you crying? I'm the one that has to deal with this. You know, like I'm the one that is, you know, struggling with this. Um, you know, and I, just expressed to him how like I never wanted to hear from him again you know that like I don't feel safe having him in my life I don't feel safe knowing that he wants to contact me and I told him like if there's one thing you can do is you can respect the fact that I don't want to have contact with my perpetrator and I left it at that now you know, some of you that are listening know me personally and went to high school with me. You can probably guess who this is. Please don't reach out to this fucking guy, okay? I, I thank you for wanting to reach out to me and, like, stick up for me. But don't fucking reach out to him. Like, he is... N- <laughs> I was gonna say he's nothing. Um, he is my perpetrator. He is. He is someone that... I already got a good response from. I already told him and I already confronted him and I am very satisfied with knowing that he is going to live with that for the rest of his life. So don't hit him up. I don't care. Like, don't hit him up. I don't want to know about him. I don't want him to know about me. Okay? And if he does know about me, it's because he knows that I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that was, yeah, that, that's what it is, you know? <laughs> that's attitude um after all of that is when I came clean to my best friend Jane and I sat her down in my dorm and I told her and I cried and I remember feeling like what do I do now what are you supposed to do now I felt like I had to like go out into the world or something but um you know it was really Jane that encouraged me to go get help and that's when I went to therapy for this. Now, I was going to therapy because of my previous relationships and how, like, damaging that was. And again, that's a whole other podcast. But having to go to my therapist and tell her, like, hey, so something happened to me when I was very young and it's kind of caught up to me now and I don't really know what to do. That was really hard. I think it took me about two months to even tell my therapist exactly what he did. Because that entire time, I was just, like, dancing around the idea. She's like, we're going to talk about it today. And I'm like, you know, I really am just so stressed with school. And, like, I was making so many excuses. And I remember we kind of got that breakthrough when I finally told her what happened. And I was shaking and crying in her office. And I think I scared the crap out of her um, with, like, just, like, my my like physical response and um I was so scared to go back because one thing that was so scary for me about people knowing was that that was just what they were going to think of me every time they saw me you know like if like if I'm going on about my life and it's tattooed on my forehead that that happened to me and especially people that I would see on the regular just people that knew me i 
it was so mortifying for me to know that they knew that about me, you know? Um, Because it was just such a mortifying thing for me to even know that that happened to me, for me to even acknowledge it. Um, Like going to therapy, I really wouldn't acknowledge it as much or I would play it off as something way less than what it really was. And, you know, my therapist had to always correct me. And I was just like, I don't understand why I'm not like, devastated or like I've been crying or any of that stuff and you know one thing that I have learned is that everybody reacts at their own pace I repressed this for let's see I'm 15 I'm 21 now I can't do math six years six seven years um I repressed this for six seven years um yeah my body is gonna catch up my body is gonna catch up to this trauma much later than it would have if I had gone to get help way before or if I had talked about it way before um and my therapist really told me you know she's like everybody responds differently like you think you're gonna be like really broken and really like crying and and all of this um she's like and maybe you're not or or maybe you are she's like you know your body is gonna react differently um, again, especially for me, because I had repressed it and I was just trying to pretend like it never happened. Um, it's not really until now that I'm feeling the trauma. I'm physically feeling this trauma. I'm physically feeling um, depression. <laughs> I am feeling depression and I'm understanding what depression means and I'm understanding um, my trauma, my triggers and all that. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, I turned 20. <laughs> And I went to Colombia, and I had the time of my life. Colombia was one of the biggest moments where I was so grateful to be alive. I was so grateful um, to have resources around me for this. Um, truly, truly, truly a beautiful experience. I, I'm in love with Colombia. It, it, was, it was amazing. When I came back from Colombia... That is when I started writing about it. I had actually, I wrote about it on the plane ride to Columbia. And I shared this with my professor who would ultimately be my faculty advisor for my book. So she saw this and, you know, she thought it was really great. And that's kind of when I alluded to her that something had happened to me. Um, My professor is someone that I... I I would trust with my whole fucking life. I would trust her with my life and my dog's life. Like, she is such a role model and she's kind of like a mom figure to me. Um, So that's kind of when I started to really tell some people. Not everybody knew. Gradually, people really important in my life would know. Um, Yeah, so, you know, next year it's it's 2019 it's it's last year um and january rolls around and you know it's it's like one thing after another happened in january of last year i got into a really big car accident in the very beginning of january literally right after new year's driving back to school um I was clipped by a semi-truck and my car actually spun um, on the freeway and I crashed into a wall. 
I just remember waking up and like seeing so many lights and so many people around me. I am so lucky. I did not break any bone in my body, no scratches. I had no concussion. I was just perfectly responsive. I have no idea who was looking out for me that day, but I I owe it to them. I owe my whole life to being so grateful that nothing happened to me that day. And um, oh, that same that same timeline, you know, someone in my residence hall passes away who, you know, I was just so young and had so much to live for. And, you know, she was just a fantastic person. And, you know, I was really, really close to a group of my residents who were really close to her. And it just affected me so, so much. I remember I went home, um, my like supervisors um for RA let me go home for a couple of days and like relieved me of my duties so I could go home and um I went to church which was kind of the first time I went to church in a while I went to church that that Sunday that I came home um and I lit a candle for her at church and I said a prayer and I could not stop crying the entire time at church and it was just so fitting that that time at church, um, the priest was talking about um, life and truth and the, you know, living our truest life and living every single moment and not being afraid of our truth. And, and that was like this epiphany to me to know that my senior thesis was going to be my truth, that I was going to tell people that I was molested at 15 years old, whether they liked it or not, whether I would get angry responses or, or support or whatever. I was going to tell people, I was going to tell people I was so determined and, and I slowly did. Um, I went back to therapy. Um, not my choice, (laughs) but I went back to therapy, um, per my supervisor's request and she made sure that, um, my best friend Jane was, was making sure that I was going, um, even if that meant Jane had to go with me, but I, but I went and I went the entire semester and I was working really, really hard with her and just talking more and more and more. And that is when I started to really hone down on my writing and get to writing about it. Writing has always been so therapeutic for me and especially my book, it's telling you everything that's ever hurted me as a child, as an adult, everything. Um, I really, really wish I could sell them right now, but, um, you know, with the quarantine, it's just not a good idea for me to go to the printing press and, like, print them out and and everything. So um, once this is all done, I promise you guys I will go out and get some printed to sell um, and just read and and have a grand old time sharing it. But, um, yeah, that book is, it's like I vomited everything out. And so that summer, um, I'm getting ahead of myself, like towards the end of the semester, like around May time, um, I told my sister, she was the first family member to know. And 
I started to tell my family because, well, if it was going to be my thesis and they were going to come to my thesis presentation, they were going to end up finding out. So I'd rather have them find out from me rather than at the thesis. I told my sister and, whew, that was really hard. My sister is one of my best friends. You know, she's eight years older than me. We tell each other everything. That was true fear that I felt telling my sister because I would have hated to know that she was looking at me differently. And she was just so supportive and she just let me cry in her house. Um, and she just held my hand. And it was really hard because at that point, I had been able to tell my therapist that I didn't like people holding my hand or or, or even just touching me or trying to hug me or whatever. It was so important to me that day that when my sister held my hand, I just held on tighter. I felt like I felt a little normal again. You know, I, I didn't feel scared to be near her because even with family it started to get kind of weird like like my dad or or like like my mom hugging me it was like I hated it it was just awful these are people that love me who raised me who I tell everything to and I I couldn't trust them with that so when I told my sister my sister told me you know eventually I do want you to tell mom and dad and I can guarantee you that they're going to be really supportive I was petrified because it happened in my own home. So I knew they were going to be really upset that I didn't tell them. And they were going to blame each other or, or or get into this really big fight. So anyway, I in the summer, I was like in writer mode in the summer, you know. I did my first part of my kind of thesis in the spring. And then summer was really the time that I had to write, edit, and print this fucking book. <laughs> um, I told my parents in the summer. And... <sighs> that was an experience, let me tell you all. Um, it was kind of what I expected. This angry because I didn't tell them. It was anger that it was in their own home and asking each other, where were, where were you? And it was anger that I kept it for so long. And I was really scared at that point in my life because I thought, you know, I completely fucked up my parents' relationship with me. Hey, I felt like I lost my parents. I felt like it was my fault that I had lost, that I, I caused this pain and anger in them and that they weren't going to love me anymore and that they were going to think really less of me. And I was really scared. It was not the case, um, you know, my parents then began to explain, oops, sorry, I hit the microphone. My parents began to explain to me how, you know, they've always just wanted to protect me and that they were just so sad that they couldn't protect me from this. And I just kept crying and crying 
and um yeah he gave me a hug and throughout like the next month or two my parents were really trying to understand me at that point in my life because they had noticed that I had changed so much and I was just so closed off and so reserved and I was just such in a bubble and I'm not really like that I'm so like I'm I'm very outgoing um and I and I love to talk to my parents but you know that was something that was so like really holding me back from talking to my parents and they could tell and they understood that and they knew that um and yeah so you know fast forward my baby cousin dies and that's really hard on me and that was something that also again motivated me to keep going with this book because at that point I was like you know I told everybody that needed to know do I really want to do this book like do I really want to take the chance and um you know in the back of my head I was like I'm kind of losing sight of of the bigger picture here you know me writing this book is something so important for this whole awareness overall so you know I'm I'm crunching out these poems and I'm pouring my heart out and my my professor was like I've never seen you write like this before and I was like I don't even know where this came from you know um and I make this book and you know I'm prepping for my thesis defense and my faculty advisor says you know it's your call whether or not you want to answer some really tough questions and at that point I was like I did it. I, you know, I'm, I've spoken my truth. I am more than 100% willing to answer those questions because it is my story and I'm, I'm still writing that story. I'm, I'm still living with that and living through that. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like so taken back that I was able to say this all. Um, so let me just get this out here really quickly. Um, I wanted to share the poems that I wrote in that in that mindset. Um, these are the poems that appear at the very end of my book. Because, well, I didn't want to throw these poems in the beginning because that's really, really hard to read. Um you know, in the beginning talks about my childhood. It's like a little chronological order. Like my childhood, I talk about like my high school years. And then I talk about this. I end my book with hope. Um, so, you know, a lot of these poems don't illustrate exactly what happened. Okay. Okay. I'm going to keep that in there. <laughs> it's really real. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to keep this part in there because, you know, this is a real ass podcast and I'm a real ass person and I did ass live with my parents and, and I love them very much and I'm not going to cut them out. So, okay. Anyway, so, <laughs> so like I said, I, I didn't go into too much like of the gruesome details. Um, I really wanted to focus on how I felt. So this is the first poem in that part. It's called First Attempt. Um, it's following a line from Emily Dickinson, and I wrote this actually in my poetry workshop class. It was separate from my, ooh, my God, I almost dropped the mic. It was separate from my, um, 
from my thesis course, my independent study. So, first attempt. After a great pain, a formal feeling comes. The clouds melt out of the sky like ocean salt and sting my cheeks. I let you believe it's my sweat. During a sunstorm, pollen strikes my nose. Bees thorn out of hiding. There is a little fire ant on the back of my neck. I can't tell you why there are so many frogs in the pond, why someone tagged the rock with CP and AVE, why the dogs run a little faster. The soccer field is greener, the diamond tended, coyotes on the train tracks are full and ready for a nap. I am posing on an abandoned log for you and hear the camera click. Then the train's horn, which scares the two of us. I see your hand reach out from my chest, my lace bra. If I had run away then, I could still walk the trail now without lying about clouds. So that poem illustrates the the first attempt that he makes. And I really wanted to emphasize how uncomfortable and how scared I was and I was trying to really mask my fear and and me crying a little bit as I was walking home with you know anything to make an excuse to just get the fuck out of there um and I really feel like I kind of emphasized this was one of the poems that I did emphasize on exactly what happened to me without necessarily going into very gruesome details um this poem is probably one of my favorite poems out of the bunch this is called trigger kitchen it was published in rabbit oak and now it's in my book um it's a pantoum so a pantoum is a is a style where the first stanza and the third stanza um are then the third and the fourth no the second and the fourth stanza in the next section of the poem so and then you can imagine that the second stanza and the fourth stanza become the first stanza it's very confusing but um it plays really well with like kind of working backwards and trigger kitchen is something that I wanted to emphasize it's a back and forth like I take one step forward but I can also take three steps back in in recovering and understanding my trauma and triggers so this is trigger kitchen It was as simple as holding the countertop in the kitchen with the cold bay of windows. My left shoulder stung, and I counted the chips in the green tile. I'm not sure how I keep the cold at bay. Now the shoes I wore have a scrape, although they weren't chipped that day. My vision is blurred, and it's hard to put myself back in those shoes, scraping by with a mom who doesn't touch me anymore. I have to adjust my eyes to the hard fact that When my dad calls, he prays I answer. Mom doesn't touch me anymore, and September chimes an alarm. When dad calls, he prays there'll be an answer on the other end of the line. September returns like an alarm. After what that friend's handed to me, I had to become my own lifeline. I count on holding onto the countertop. I love this poem. I think... It helps people understand my relationship with my parents even after um, many months of them knowing. Um, At this point in my life, I was living on my own. I worked for property management and I was actually living in one of the units that we had just opened as kind of like a trial. 
Um, so I was living there and, you know, I would visit my parents almost every weekend. So it was really important. Those phone calls were so important for my parents to make sure that I was doing okay and that I was feeling okay while I was writing this book because, you know, I told them that I was writing this book. Um, I think definitely part of it was them wanting to make sure that I hadn't done anything drastic. Um, I, you know, you can understand what they were trying to make sure I was okay. I was alive. Um, and I love, I love, love, love this poem and just, yeah, I love this really back and forth and emphasis on like understanding that countertop and understanding what it does to me and understanding what my triggers do to me as a person. So the next one is called Selma. That's my sister. And of course, this is a poem that talks about um, the day I told my sister and my relationship with my sister and um, like the quirky relationship I have with her and how afraid I was of damaging that, um, which I think is something that after anybody talks about their experience is afraid of how damaging or, or maybe damaging it would be on a relationship and I'm here to tell you that the people that love you the most are never going to unlove you because of this uh, in fact I think they're going to love you even more because they truly truly understand how much you trust them and how much you care about them for them to know this so this is Selma. This is a bop. So I'm using um, a line from Biking by Frank Ocean. I love Frank Ocean. You guys all know. So I bit my sister's eyelid when I was little. My jagged teeth found a home forming a little scar. Everyone called her a tiny miracle, even though she was way, she was my older sister because she was born a potato. One pound, one ounce. I could have bit her in my palm. I couldn't get from nobody else. Yeah. When she grew up, our dog cut her down. There is a scar on her left arm. I don't remember her crying. At 15, she dyed her hair blue, and I watched it turn a color more like the sea. Selma wore a white lace gown to prom. It hung in my closet after she left like a shrine. I couldn't get from nobody else. Yeah? Maybe Selma shouldn't have been so calm when everyone yelled. Maybe Selma should have cried. Dad stopped talking to her the day she didn't cry. I knew better than to ask who did what. When I told Selma why she couldn't touch me, because nobody could touch me, she nodded, held my hand. I couldn't get from nobody else. Yeah. I wanted to do something really quirky for my sister because I feel like we're both very quirky. And the idea that I, that the line where I bit her eye, that's very true. I did bit her I did bite her eyelid when I was little. Um, but my sister is also someone that is so strong and has had her own experiences. Um, and she's always shared them with me and my parents. And, you know, I, it's someone that I've always looked up to. And my sister has always been so honest with herself. And I love that. I love living with your truth and accepting it. And and so she was really, really a big, uh, a big scare for me to tell because um. I always just cared about her opinion and what she thought of me a lot. So, aha, the last one is not. This is what I told my parents. And um, it's called not because, well, it's a knot in my throat that I finally cut loose that day when I told them. Um, 
And I think uh, I speak for anybody that knows how difficult it is to tell your parents this because, you know, the aftermath is everything does change and people do treat you differently, but it's how they treat you that matters. My parents treated me with a lot more respect and more willingness to understand my triggers and more encouragement for me to talk to them and go seek help. And that was something that I... I was so thankful for to know that my parents really understood how this has affected me and are excited for me to talk about this and are excited for me to go seek professional help and understand who I am as a person right now. But this is the poem before all of that. The fear poem, as I would call it. Not. Last summer, the rope in my throat felt a little looser. Perhaps it was the heat wave over my shoulder or the stomach acid bubbling during a stare. I practiced in my head over and over how we would sit down and listen to me speak, whether or not my words would tremble between my teeth. I would pretend to be mom in the conversation. ¿Y por qué no gritastes? Because you couldn't hear me even if I had. Pero cuando nos ibas a contar? If I had it my way, Never. I want you both to know that I looked out the window and asked to forget that that was already my wish, even then, pressed tight against the counter. When I untied the knot of my words, I thought that dad would be sitting in his chair, Facebook opened. I pictured him in silence, and I'd wait for a word. The wind would knock down the the computer parts, shatter all over. Um, you know, that was definitely a scenario that would play in my head a lot is oh my god how am I gonna tell my parents and I was preparing like for all the questions that they were gonna ask me and I was like (laughs) I felt like I was going to a job interview but way way worse um like you know like my parents would ask me to do the hard questions I'm like I know the answer to this and and not break down um but you know I I sit here and talk to you guys about this today because I, I want people to know that it's okay to come forward and talk about it. Um, I'm someone that I, I didn't go to legal authorities for. I, I didn't do it. Um, you know, my parents and I had that conversation and I didn't do it. The person, again, the, the person that did this to me, they are living with that for the rest of their life. I could see it in their face when I was repeatedly confronting them on that call um, and I can live with that. Would I want to do anything legal? Maybe. If I really feared for my life, I would do it, but I don't really fear for my life with this person. Um, and you know, there's people that have had much more horrific experiences than me. And I remind myself that every single day that there are more people out there just like me with that experience and anything positive that I can do to advocate for this experience I will do it until the day that I die I'm so passionate about it um and this book really opened me up to talk about it more because it's my truth and it is my life and unfortunately this happened to me but this this doesn't stop me this doesn't take away from my successes it doesn't take away from the wonderful life that I have right now I have such an impeccable and incredible relationship with my parents I have you know a wonderful support system and 
God, guys, I'm absolutely in love with my boyfriend and I never thought I could have a boyfriend. I'm in love with somebody who is so responsive and so careful with me and is so willing to understand my triggers and know when I have good days, when I have bad days. Um, Yeah, I'm going to grad school. You know, I'm still working even during these conditions right now. I have a whole life ahead of me and, um, you know, this did happen to me. I was molested when I was 15 years old and, um, and that is my truth and that doesn't stop my life and, and it will not stop anyone else's life, anyone that's gone through this. Um, so I, I really, really encourage you guys to listen to this podcast and, and share just with whoever, even if it's people that have never experienced this, um, you know, the more that we listen to stories and the more that we listen to survivors, we understand more how to really understand consent and really, really, really take seriously sexual violence and sexual assault um, and really encourage lawmakers and encourage education system to acknowledge what's going on and create action plans. So this was a much longer podcast than I intended it to but this is just something I'm so passionate about. This is something that, you know, it, I've, I've made, I've just, it has made me so much stronger and has made me so excited to continue to live my life and, and get the help that I need and meet people and, and somehow inspire people. Um, so I really am thankful for you guys listening today and I'm really thankful for everybody that has just been listening, period. I made this podcast um, for myself and then it turned into, well, crap, now I just want to talk about everything for everybody. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much. Again, no, there's there's no song of the week this week. Um, I just, you know, no song of the week, just... Just really, really, really take this podcast and, and share it. And I hope that you have learned something from this. Um, and I hope that you feel inspired to advocate for the causes that you feel the passionate, the most passionate for. And um, you really understand the importance of creating such an awareness for sexual assault and sexual violence. So have a wonderful, wonderful week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay the fuck inside. <laughs> please um and yeah and have a have a great rest of your week I, I have some songs on my instagram this week that i would recommend so i guess multiple songs of the week but um no official song of the week this week um so yeah have a great day sorry for little interruptions of my parents but uh as it is described i am a simple girl simply living in my parents house so have a great week day I think I've said that like a million times, but uh, yeah, I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.